my security detail needed to call in additional security. They needed to basically get me out through the back door. Things were incredibly disconcerting in terms of threats on my life and my family's uh, well-being. Welcome to Resisting Pretense. We're here to have honest conversations about a life of faith in modern culture. And uh, this is kind of a, this is a cool day for us. We got a, a little special surprise. I don't want to, I don't want to drop that quite yet. Was that like a name joke though? A, a little surprise? Is that, never mind. It's not all about you. <laughs> all right. Um, it's always about me. So we have talked about having different converse, difficult conversations in, in previous episodes. We've talked about uh, social discourse and our our concern about polarization and just how how um, how much of that we see in social discourse. And we're back in that space, but with a special guest. And Scott, do you want to to um, unveil our special guest? Oh, I'd love to, to right. unveil our special guest. So um, we are very fortunate and grateful to have Kate Brown, the former governor of or, of the great state of Oregon. Yeah, great. You have to throw uh, that in. I do have to throw that in. Because you're um, the only one that doesn't have the connection in this conversation to it. So, Well. We're letting you be a part of this conversation. Well, fine. Just be that way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, oh, and Kate is a pragmatic progressive did i say that right kate what you absolutely did okay. all right all right uh, a pragmatic I, I was on i was on mute because right. i didn't want anybody to hear my <laughs> breathing or my laughter all right so. all right um and we feel very much and and i think fair to say that scott and i are probably not pragmatic progressives but we strongly feel that resisting pretense Part of that is being willing to constructively listen, engage with people that you may disagree with about certain issues. And we thought it'd be super valuable to hear uh, about Kate's experience dealing with Christian people in the political space. And then there is a full disclosure moment here, Scott. So um, I'm very fortunate to have Kate <laughs> as my sister-in-law um, and, and um, just an amazing, uh, beautiful woman. Um, and very grateful that she was willing to say, "Hey, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to talk to you guys." So, welcome, Kate. Yeah, welcome, Kate. Delighted to be with both of you. All right. Even if Scott, you are not an Oregonian. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's a little disappointing. He is, however, from the mountains of Colorado, Colorado. so I feel like it's kind of like a cousin. <laughs> it's a cousin because I come from the mountain areas in Oregon. So, actually, uh, my as you know, my husband grew up in Boulder, so. Boulder and then Erie with his brother, Scott, All right. his little brother, his little brother, Scott. <laughs> we, we say that in age because I'm certainly not smaller than all him. Right, all right. All right. Um, <laughs> well, I, we also need to include that. Um, and you can't see this, Kate, because we're on the phone together. But um, we are unofficially sponsored by Diet Coke and... Um, because we forgot to go to the store, unofficial sponsorship means we have no Diet Coke with us today. Um, okay. we're, so we're drinking water. We're drinking water. Okay. And it's All not right. even Good. Dasani water, but, but um, <laughs> just we're, water. we're just going to keep pressing that issue until Coca-Cola comes around. Um, okay. All but, right. Uh, Good luck with that. All right. Thank you. 
So we want to get into who is Kate Brown. Some of our listeners may know you by by name, but uh, some may not. Um, and I I can imagine. Tell me if this is true. I can imagine you must have felt often like you got treated as a as a position or as the office and not as a person. Is that true? I think that's true with most people who hold elective office. Mm-hmm. Um, that the leadership lesson in all of that is don't take anything personally. Um, <laughs> that this is about the job that you hold at the time. This is about the role that you are fulfilling. This is about the service you're providing. And I actually have a really good sort of proof point on that. Um, throughout my time as governor, I had um, security detail uh, with me the whole time. Um, they oh, yeah, obviously guarded our house. <laughs> they guarded our house. They um, they drove me everywhere. Um, they watched for threats, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And since I am no longer governor, uh, we haven't had any security uh, breaches or any security threats on our home. Oh wow! Um, so that for me is a really clear uh, proof point that it is not about you. It is about the job you are. Um, fulfilling it is about the role you are playing and the service you're providing at the time How? So oh sorry the goal Go is don't take it personally yeah. you cannot take this personally and it's hard <laughs> it's really interesting because i flew in for uh my brother's retirement party and kate and her entourage met me at the airport and this guy showed up and says you're supposed to follow me. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> and then I realized it was all connected to the security. And it's like, Oh, I see how this works now. So yes. how yes. long after your term ends, does the security go away? Well, um, I, I can't get into that sort oh, okay. of detail, but I will okay. just say that my, um, the de- the formal detail ended and, um, uh, I am safe and secure in, uh, Oregon at this point in time. Was, was that odd? Was that like an odd day when all of a sudden, like the, the, the guardrails were off? Yeah. So it's the security detail. You spend a lot of time with them. Mm -hmm. Um, for example, when I went to the grocery store, they drove me to the grocery store. Um, we traveled together and I traveled all around the state. Um, and they become like family. Uh, so all of a sudden, you know, this rather large family that you had right. around you all the time is gone. Um, so there is a sense of loneliness, but there's also a sense of, um, I'll, I'll just say freedom. I hadn't driven sure. uh, since 2015. Oh. Uh, my <laughs> my detail my detail took me on training drives before my term ended. <laughs> and um it was very fun, actually. One of them said to me, we were on a test track, and he said, Governor, you, you know there's no speed limit here. You could drive faster than 30. But I hadn't been driving. You know, I, it felt very fast to me. So anyway, um, so there is a sense of freedom as well. But mostly I miss uh, the job itself, um, mm. serving the people of Oregon and working to make life better for every Oregonian. Well, let's, um, before we get into the, I think the, the questions that I'm, that might get, uh, like intricate, I'd I'd love to just still investigate, like who's Kate Brown? What, what's your family? Like, what do you do for fun? What let's, 
let's let's take you out of the office and and just talk about who you are as a person so um i have a wonderful spouse who happens to be scott little's (laughs) brother um he is very active we are active people um we love to hike uh uh, to bike, mostly more uh, off-road uh, mountain bike type biking. Uh, I am trying to get my way back into pickleball. Uh, mm. And uh, Dan is an avid skier, and uh, I have uh, worked hard to try and keep up with him, though it's pretty <laughs> impossible. Um, so we like to spend a lot of time outside. Uh, we have a three-year-old dog. Her name is Jory. Um, for those of you in the Oregon know, uh, Jory is the state soil, specifically the soil where Pinot Noir grapes grow well. <laughs> and uh, I helped him raise uh, his two kids. Uh, and uh, I'm, I, I'm really proud to say they're doing very well. Uh, one is a software developer and the other works for the Forest Service, uh, like their parents. And uh, I think they're both happy and uh, self-supporting and, uh, doing well in the world. Oh, that's And then I have, yeah, I like, um, Scott little, I have, um, I have three siblings and, uh, my mom is still alive. And as you can imagine, my work required a lot of time and energy. So I'm working hard to spend more time with my extended family and close friends who live not only in Oregon, but I grew up in the Midwest. So I, have a number of family members in the Midwest. All right. So is there a favorite uh, trail area in, in Oregon for you for riding? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, it's actually for hiking. My favorite okay. trail is, uh, um, now I'm going to get it wrong, uh, the North Little Saniam, uh, which was burned in the oh. fires of Labor Day 2020. So I haven't been back um, but it's a long Opal Creek. It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning and not very crowded. So that's one of my faves, though. Um, uh, over in Central Oregon, and and you may have done this one, um, Tam MacArthur Rim. Oh, I yeah. love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. You it's feel like really you're on stunning. top of the world. You, you feel like it, it is that, exactly that on top of the world. I love so. it. I love it. Um, well, let's get into the juicy conversation. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I know there's got to be, in, in your experience as governor, you there had to be encounters with people of faith, and I'm sure there were some rough ones. I hope there were some good ones, too. Um, but I, I want to get into what were some of the difficult experiences or conversations you had with people of faith as you're, as you're governing the state? So I, I, I will just uh, provide a little more context. Sure. I have been in um, public service for over 30 years. Mm. Um, so I served in the legislature for 17 years, um, served as Oregon Secretary of State for, um, I was sworn in in uh, 2009, and uh, I went to the governor's office in 2015, so six years, and then served as governor almost eight years, seven years and 11 months. Yeah, so we're not talking so, about a short period in your life. This is, no, this is, yeah. this is, this is uh, I basically feel like I grew up at the state capitol, and 
I, I think one of the joys, and I think this is true about most state legislatures, except for maybe New York and California, Texas, the big states, is that um, the legislative process is really a, um, a, a citizen engaged and a citizen involved process. Mm-hmm. And in a small state like Oregon, we're 4.2, maybe pushing 4.3 million people. Even as Secretary of State and as Governor, you're interacting with a diversity of folks, um, geographically, uh, economically, different faiths. And I think one of the joys of that is that um, your exposure to such a variety of people. And what I think is most important is regardless of a person's faith, or where they come from, or their income, that in public service, my view is that you have the opportunity to work with them. And so I see it as an opportunity. Um, I worked with the faith community on a number of issues. So, for example, uh, Acute Medical Ministries of Oregon uh, was the coalition of uh, diverse communities of faith, and their role, as I saw it, was to advocate for our most vulnerable Oregonians um, to tackle injustices that they saw in our criminal justice system, in our um, in our uh, immigration system, and of course in our um, in our social uh, service system. And so I worked with uh, Ecumenical Ministries of Oregon for a number of years, particularly when I was in the legislature. I worked with, uh, I'll say, very dedicated members of the Catholic faith mm-hmm. uh, when I was tackling issues around the death penalty. Um, I worked with um, a number of folks uh, uh, as we were dealing with a wide diversity of issues. So for the most part, I will say um, it's it's not about a person's faith or their connection to that. It's more about the issues that they cared about, um, how they treated other people. Um, I grew up in a family where we were expected to treat people with dignity and kindness and respect. Um, I learned in the state capitol that your word is your bond. And honestly, it didn't matter to me um, <laughs> what faith a person was. It was really important that they kept their word um, yeah. because in, you're only as good um, as the word that you have given. And so I, I think that is the experience I had. And I found it to be incredibly rewarding and um, incredibly joyful. But most importantly, I felt like every single day I could get up and make a difference and work to make Oregon a better place for everyone. And that was the most important thing for me. I, um, yeah, that's, in, that's an incredibly gracious response. And I, and I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying it was um, disingenuous, but I know there, and I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you leaned into the positive response because I, 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 appreciate how how you're seeing the bigger picture perspective um i think it is good particularly for our listeners to confront sometimes our tendency to be dogmatic 
and and un- <laughs> yes. and unkind. And I'm I'm hoping you might be willing. You don't need to name names or that kind of thing, but I'm hoping you might be willing to share kind of like how it affected you when you ran into people who were so dogmatic and 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 maybe leaning into unkind as 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 you were trying to work with them. Well, I want to go back to what I said at the beginning, and that is you cannot take this personally, mm, right? Right. That yeah. you cannot um, um, take the comments, the social media, et cetera, personally. Was it hard at times? Absolutely. So I'll just be totally honest with you. I chose not to read social media. <laughs> um, that enabled me to get up in the morning with a smile on my face and enabled me <laughs> to, um, you know, continue to go to work, uh, filled with passion, uh, for service. Um, I had, I, I'm just trying to think, I, I did run into people who were unkind or cruel. Uh, I fortunately, you know, with security detail that sort of limited, uh, the, that exposure. Um, I'll just share one story. Um, your your viewers might not think it was funny. I, I thought it was delightful. I thought it was hysterical, <laughs> actually. I was over in eastern Oregon, tends to be conservative. I was in a very small community, um, the city of Joseph. And um, the the uh, uh, one of the campaigns for the Republican governor at the time, uh, they came over with her signs. Her name was Christine Drazen, Republican um, from uh, Clackamas County area. And they, when I was in the store shopping, spending money, because I think that's a good thing to do, particularly in rural Oregon, um, they came out uh, and they were holding the Christine Drazen sign when I came out and yelling for Christine Drazen, who actually had worked with in the legislature and like very much. I don't always agree with her, but I like her very much. So I thought that was very cute. Um, (laughs) That was a great way of sort of pushing me right Mm -hmm. um, on letting them know, but it, it was in a sort of a kind thoughtful and compassionate way. Um, I thought that was just great, but I had been, I had been in other rural Oregon and other times, um, even before the pandemic where, um, my security detail needed to call in additional security and, um, they needed to basically get me out through the back door. Mm. Um, so we had some times, uh, where I know, um, things were incredibly, um, disconcerting, um, for my security detail in terms of threats on my life and, um, uh, and my family's, uh, being. as an example, I could not, I could not during the pandemic, it was incredibly difficult for me to live in or stay at my Portland house just because of security concerns um, that was on both sides of the aisle. You know, we, um, one of the reasons that we kind of stepped into doing this podcast and having this discussion was it really felt um, true or not true that that the the whole idea of conversation has changed over the last probably five years. Um, that you know probably early on in your uh, legislative career, uh, the the idea of having civil conversation. Um, seem, at least from our perspective, seem to be much more available uh, than what sometimes we see or watch or experience now. Um, would you say that's true from your perspective? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, politics have become uh, much more brutal and much more toxic. I, I just want to share a story. I worked with a uh, Republican legislator. This was several years ago on um, Republican legislator, uh, uh, very much a man of faith on an issue that he wanted to address uh, in the legislature. And I figured out a way to help him in a way that wouldn't um, subvert my issues or my concerns. Mm. A couple of years later, then I needed a vote on a particular bill. And he just gave me that vote because I had worked with him before. I believe that those types of experiences are growing fewer and fewer. And I think it is a huge loss, uh, not only for our institutions, but our, for, for our communities, um, our states, and our country. And our state legislative process, it is a system of rules and um, numbers, you know, votes, et cetera. But it is mostly, these are institutions built on relationships. Yeah. And when you cannot have relationships when you cannot work together, the systems don't work. And we're seeing that very much, very much at the federal level. Yeah. And you, you mentioned kind of offhandedly, but the, I forget the name of the, the lady that was on the campaign signs when you were in Joseph, but. Oh, Christine Drazen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned yeah. that uh, you didn't always agree with her, but you liked her and it is, alarming to me and and worrisome to me that in our culture it almost seems like disagreement has to go with dislike and that's that doesn't um that doesn't bode well in my mind that no. you should be able to disagree with someone and still like them if if they are yes. likable people and you know and uh <laughs> I, yes. I think that's one of the absolutely one of the um aspirations I have as a leader is, is to allow people to be confident, you know, to, to equip people to be confident in their beliefs without having to undermine other people. Like that's a, that's a, sadly, it seems like a dying, a dying skill in our culture that, that I'm, I'm hoping that leaders with, um, with some savvy to what, what direction our world is going, will will correct. But I want to cycle back real quick. Oh, go ahead. You were sure. going to say something else. No, go ahead. No, well, go I ahead. wanted to cycle back when you said that you purposefully did not engage in social media. And that's a, it's actually a, a, um, a, a commonality between you and I, I actually turned off all of my social, not turned off, but delete, literally deleted all of my social media accounts. I don't know, a year, year, year and a half ago, because I realized well, for one thing, I wasn't following them. And so there were all these things happening that people thought I was seeing and I was not. Um, and it became a, an impediment to re relationship, actually. But I also realized that there was so much drama that I was just spared from. And I think being careful about what we're allowing in, in terms of just the the drama that is, you know, there's some drama that we can't avoid because it, it needs to be dealt with, but 
we we tend to invite so much drama that is unnecessary in our lives. Well, and we've often talked about the accountability of that, that people will say things on social media that they would never say to your face. Right. And, and, and that's that relationship part that we're talking about is that why would I even do that to you on social media if I'm not going to do it to your face? And so it's a great, you know, I, I think great it's great lesson for people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, was it, um, did the attitude, this question for you, Kate's still in the conversation, right? Yes. Okay. So, um, yes. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still here. Did you find that the attitude of people you were, you were dealing with effect, had any effect on your willingness to look for a middle ground? Um, that's an interesting question. So I mentioned that I'd served in the legislature for 17 years. 14 years of that, I was in the minority. Mm. Uh, the Republicans controlled either one or both houses. So it was very difficult for me to move my agenda. Mm-hmm. But I decided I still wanted to get stuff done. I didn't <laughs> come, you know, I didn't come there to the legislature as a resume builder. I came because I wanted literally um, to make life better for Oregonians. So I had to sort of um, think about it a little differently. And so the transition I made was, okay, what issues do I care about that I can work with the Republicans on? And let me give you a couple of examples. At the time, this was 30 years ago, I was practicing family law. I ended up uh, practicing juvenile law as well. I ended up working with folks um, from Portland on legislation to, uh, I think, make the family law system uh, more user friendly. Mm. We did the same with the juvenile code uh, dealing with uh, parents whose children are in foster care. We did an entire rewrite of the juvenile code in such a way that parents who may not have gone to law school could pick up the code and read it and understand what was going on. Still probably more work to do there, but that was the goal. I also worked on uh, issues, domestic violence and women's health. And for the most part, these were issues that uh, folks of, of both parties could agree on. We probably had disagreements about technical details and, and some of the nitty gritty But for the most part, these were issues that people could agree on. The other area that I worked on was behavioral health. So it was a transition in my thinking. um, And it was, and that's why where the pragmatic comes from, it was, I am not an ideologue on these issues. Let's figure out how we can GSD, as we like to say, get stuff done. (laughs) So that experience serving in the minority was very helpful for me as the Democrats began to control the legislature and to control statewide offices, which they are in control of now in Oregon, all the statewide offices and the legislature. And I had those experience and know what it feels like to be in the minority, to not have your voice heard, to not be able to move your agenda, um, you know, to get last choice in parking and last choice in offices. (laughs) They've changed that too. They've changed that too now in the legislature, but Um, For me, that was a really good perspective to have, and I think dramatically changed how I approached my work in public service. 
The other thing that happened is that uh, after roughly 10 years in the legislature, I became the minority leader, the Democratic leader. And the transition I needed to make there was that I represented Democrats from all parts of the state. And we had some very conservative Democrats in our caucus at that time. Um, one uh, a state senator from Albany, Oregon, um, I, I know her well. I still I'm in, still in touch with her. Her name is Senator Yi May Yi. And she is there is no question about her one of the most conservative Democrats that we've ever had in the legislature. <laughs> but m my job, my job as the caucus leader was to make sure that my members, regardless of whether they lived in Portland or Albany or the South Coast, could shine, that they could deliver for their districts. And for me, that was another transition, that I represented the whole state, not just my district um, from Southeast and Northeast Portland. That is, that is really cool. Um, and one of the things I kept hearing as, as you kept talking is that, you know, we, we need to, we need to find the common ground and then we can work from there. Yeah. We don't have to come in, you know, with, with like, we've all, we've talked a lot about dogmatism, oh. but how many times have, you know, do we set, okay, let's talk about what we agree on. Cause we're not, no one, you can't get four people to agree on everything, you know? <laughs> so, but let's talk about what we do agree on and then how do we move that forward? And I think that's just, that was a beautiful statement of that. So, oh, sounded like you had a, a thought to add there. Kate. Well, I, and I was just, I, I was just going to say, um, in my transition from both minority leader into the majority, um, when I was the minority leader, I wanted to create situations where my team, my side got what they wanted. And obviously I knew the other side, they were the majority, they had the power, were, was going to get what they wanted. But that didn't change from when I became the majority um, from the minority. I obviously, we were setting the agenda and I had stuff that I wanted and needed to get done that the minority might have or did actually disagree with. But for the most part, 90, 95% of the stuff, and particularly which we, when we disagreed, the goal was to create win-wins. How can we uh, make sure that you get something, I get something, and uh, the people of Oregon win? Mm, good. Can I, may I ask a, uh, a sp specific scenario on how you dealt with it? Mm -hmm, sure. So there was a point in your governorship where at least from a media standpoint, it made it sound like all the Republicans had walked out and weren't going to, weren't, you know, it's kind of like we're taking our marbles and going home. Um, how did you, that, that requires a level of conversation to say, come on guys, let's, let's work through, through this. Can you kind of share how that conversation took place to get everybody back on track? Sure. Um, but Scott, you need to know that the Republicans have taken their marbles and gone home now in the Oregon <laughs> legislature as well. So I, have, <laughs> I am not going to comment on the current situation, but what I will say is that we ended up, uh, we had to, we kept the conversations going. Uh, we worked hard to compromise and address some of their concerns. We obviously didn't address all of their concerns. And then in the end, um, we realized that we couldn't move 
the one bill that they were most objecting to. So we had to put it aside. So that was a really, really hard, Scott. Uh, I, uh, it was a bill that my team and I had worked on for two years. Um, We thought it was a market-based approach to tackling climate change. And it would give um, particularly um, historically underserved communities, I would include communities uh, in our rural parts of the state, it would give our communities of color and then our, our families with low income more tools um, to address sort of the devastating impacts of climate change that we're now seeing. But in the end, what I realized, what my team and I realized is that we can't, we could not move that bill forward and um, keep the Republicans in the building. So I had to let it go. And that was hard. <laughs> that is hard. I think a critical thing you said, and I think that, that a lot of people, if, if we take it to heart and learn, is that you kept the conversation going, even though the conversation was difficult, even mm-hmm. though those were things that, that there was strong feelings on both sides of it, you said, this is important enough that we need to keep the conversation going. And I think we're too quick in, oftentimes in our conversations to say, I'm out, Versus, let's work through the difficult. Yeah, as soon paths. as it gets difficult, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'll just share another. So I think that was um, the the walkout that was pre-pandemic. Um, for me, one of the most interesting lessons from the pandemic, and there were a lot of them, and I'm honestly really proud of how Oregonians did during the pandemic. We had one of the lowest mortality rates and one of the lowest infection rates in the country. We definitely punched above our weight, as I like to say. But (laughs) one of the lessons for me, we were, my administration was very committed. And I would argue the current administration is still committed to serving our most vulnerable Oregonians. For example, our migrant migrant farm workers, our um, refugee communities, And during the pandemic, this was incredibly challenging. Throughout my whole public service career, I rejected, um, or maybe rejected was a strong word. Um, I certainly partnered with uh, organizations of faith uh, to um, uh, create more justice in our uh, systems. But I rejected the notion that we should actually be partnering in the sense of providing resources um, to faith-based organizations to deliver services. Mm. This gets a little tricky, but um, what I learned through the pandemic is that if we are really going to serve the most vulnerable, we are going to have to partner with faith-based organizations in ways that we haven't traditionally done. Mm. And that was... um, a real eye-opener for me, uh, and I, I think there's a lot of opportunity moving forward uh, in terms of working with faith-based organizations that state government and, frankly, local government is only beginning to realize. I know that local jurisdictions have been working with faith-based organizations around housing and homelessness issues for years, for decades. Yeah. But we are, I think, in order to meet the need of our most vulnerable populations, we are going to have to um, 
increase those partnerships and expand those relationships. Well, I think what it unlocks is you've got, in, in a government organization, you have resource. But when you start in, engaging with faith-based organizations, you have people. You have, you have like bo- the boots on the ground of people who can actually go in and, and provide you know, that the hands-on help that, that sometimes um, is when, when you consider how many communities of faith exist in, in all the communities in, in a region or a state, um, there, there's a lot of resource, just people resource in those organizations. And I think we're seeing more and more of that, like you say, Kate, because even here in Yuma, we've had several conversations with our mayor in regards to how to deal with with the the um, border crisis, and and we have honestly we have uh, it's very quick for us because they normally are um, moving somewhere further up in the country, um, so they're only here for a few days and moving up. But how do we how do we assist as a community with resources and that kind of thing? Um, because it is what it is. Um, but then on the other side, we are also partnering with um, uh, Department of Child Safety to help people stay in their homes when that's when that's available, when that's good for that child, but they may need a bed or they may need something like that, right. uh, you know, food, diapers, whatever. The, the DCS can just send out a, a message through what is called Care Portal to say, hey, can you help this family out? And, and any church can jump on and say, you bet, we will take care We will take care of that need. And so I think we're starting to see more and more of that happen, like you said. Sure. I, I do think, um, I, I think one of the other challenges for the, this is a broader challenge, is that um, we used to, as a nation, rely on our president or whoever to essentially um, a save is probably the wrong word, but to lead us through difficult times. Mm-hmm. And I think my concept of leadership has really changed. And it really, I see leadership as a muscle and that everyone has the ability to exercise it. And the more of us that exercise these muscles, the stronger and better our communities will be. And I, there are two people that I think of one um, my mother, I'll just brag on her for a moment. Uh, <laughs> she it, it was uh, is an extraordinary volunteer. She drove cancer patients for the American Cancer Society until she was 85. And then they stopped her. She aged out of doing that. She would still be doing that today at 87 if they would let her. <laughs> um, she is delivering meals on wheels. Even in the winter, when I was home, um, not last the year before for Christmas, we went out and delivered meals on wheels through the snow. Um, Scott Little, I'm going to highlight you. I loved what you did for your 50th birthday party, your 50th birthday. Is that right? Was it 50 or was it? Okay. Um, Tell people what you did. So um, I would, I I felt like I had been so blessed as, as a, a, as a citizen and as a Christian and as a believer and thought, I don't, you know, you get to these big birthdays like 50 and, and I thought, I, I want to do something different. And so we developed what was called the 50 for 50 project. And it was um, us um, finding 50 nonprofit organizations that had a 
a, a material need that we could find 50 other organizations to come alongside and bless um, and, and fulfill that need. And we really wanted it to be something that people would go, I can put my hands on this object and donate it to this organization. And so we, we went out into the community and found 50 nonprofits and said, what is your need? And it was everything from bread to diapers to wheelbarrows to all kinds of stuff. And then we went to, we went to uh, the church community uh, all over Yuma and said, would you be willing to adopt uh, this organization and, and ask your people to take them on? And, um, it, and it just, for the next five years, we did 50 for 50 project, just helping nonprofits. And, and the cool thing about it for me was that, um, so many of the small nonprofits get overlooked. Right. And, you know, everybody can give to United Way or to, you know, these major, major organizations. Um, but when you have these little tiny community organizations that said, you know, all we need, we, all we need are boxes of size six diapers. And then they get, they get 50 cases of size six diapers. Mm -hmm. They're just like overwhelmed, you know? And so, um, it was just a beautiful connection. And, and we had nonprofits, we had government organizations, we had schools that, that asked us, can we help? So we gave to three different schools playground balls. Yeah, 50 playground balls. Yeah. You know, and they were like, you don't know what this means to us. And so uh, thank you for noticing that. I mean, that was, somebody that was, was getting hit in the head with a playground ball. Somebody. That's what it meant. <laughs> so, so just wait till you tell you about what I'm doing for my 60th. <laughs> okay. I'm like, oh yeah, you're not 60 yet. I was no. like, was it 50 or 60? You are truly the little, you are the little, little, I am the little, right. little yeah. brother. That's right. Well, Kate, I, our listener base is strong. I would say it's fair to say strongly conservative. All eight of them. Yeah. All eight of them. Um, <laughs> and, and I would say that their faith convictions are the central point of their life, like even more important to them than whatever political, whatever political mm -hmm. side of the aisle they're on. Their faith convictions are very strong. And so I want to give you the parting shot in our episode today of when it comes to engaging in the political process, what advice do you have for people whose faith convictions are just central in their lives? Hmm. What I would say is this, I, my, my credo, my reason why I get up every single morning is that I believe each and every one of us can make a difference. And I absolutely believe that by all of us working together, uh, we can achieve much more than each one of us working alone. Uh, mm. change takes time. <laughs> uh, uh, change does take time, but, um, I think it's more important, uh, that we get there together, um, than we continue. And it's better, frankly, than we continue with the level of, uh, brutality and toxicity we're say seeing in today's politics. And I know there are sort of baseline issues that, your listeners 
would not likely agree with me on and, and vice versa. But I do think there's some common things, making sure that uh, kids, little ones, have access to, uh, for example, diapers and uh, <laughs> early we can childhood all agree on learning. That. Yes. Right. Early childhood learning experiences and food. Um, I, I think there is a good sense that cl- our climate in this country is changing and we are seeing more and more um, historic climate events. And that another area where folks could be working together is around emergency preparedness. This is an issue that I think state government and local government has really struggled uh, to deal with. Uh, I'm trying to think of the climate events in Arizona. We obviously have wildfires and ice storms and flooding and heat. Now we have heat dome events. Um, I assume Arizona is a heat dome during the summer most of the time anyway. But um, <laughs> Well, where you know, we live, I, and that's true. Yeah, where we live, it's like constant all the time, every day. It's right. It's a heat dome <laughs> event all the time, right? Um, but these events are going to happen, and we need to make sure that our communities are prepared. And I, I just think there's a number of areas um, that we could all be working together on. You're absolutely right should. about that. You're absolutely right. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I, I didn't know necessarily what to expect. I figured, <laughs> I figured if you're in the little clan, you can't be that bad. Um, and so uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, if you want to hang on for just a second, we're going to wrap this up and then love, love to say uh, a personal thank you uh, after after we shut the recorder off. So, um, sure, sure. So to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I hope, I hope your, your thoughts were provoked and I hope it helps you engage in faith filled conversations and in a way that is constructive and, and helpful and respectful of people. And so Scott, you want to take us out? I am just so grateful that Kate joined us and um, just very, very happy that, that she is part of our family. We are grateful that you are part of our family as well. And so we just uh, say thank you and have a great week. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>